Well, what a great way to kick off our time together. Thank you again. We have an amazing worship team here, and it's an honor to serve with them, and it's an honor to be with you this morning. If we haven't met before, my name is Kevin. I get to serve as your group's pastor, and I'm so excited to open God's Word with you this morning. It's been a great weekend here at Alice Drive. You've heard some stories of students experiencing life change, lots of great things going on. We're continuing our series called Leaps this morning. And I want to share a story with you I heard about a son and his dad. You see, this son, he really loved animals. And so for his sixth birthday, mom and dad got him the most giant, beautiful stuffed bear you've ever seen. He was thrilled with the bear and Night and day, he would walk around just holding on to the bear. Wherever he went, it never left his side. And every night, as the the dad would try and prepare to put his son to bed, the son just kept holding on to the bear. And one night, the dad said, Son, I want to show you something spectacular. I want you to have an incredible experience, but in order to be able to do that, you're going to have to set down your bear. And the son cried. He wouldn't do it because he really loved the bear. After a couple more nights, the dad asked the son again, Son, I want to give you this incredible experience, but you're going to have to put down your bear. And that time when he asked, the little boy cried again, but after a couple of minutes, he set the bear down right by the side of his bed. And as soon as he did, dad swooped in, grabbed his son, wrapped him in his arms tight, and started running all through the house. And you could hear the laughter of son and father all the way through. And even though running wasn't usually allowed in the house, mom was celebrating and cheering too. And they did this for about 10 minutes. It ended up being the time of their lives. So much so that when they came back and the dad was going to put the son into bed, the son didn't even reach over for the bear. He just simply had this beautiful smile on his face and he fell fast asleep at the satisfaction of what he had just experienced. And this became their bedtime tradition for several years to come. Today, we're going to continue this leap series where we've been talking about these incredible Old Testament stories, where we see God's faithfulness and we see people who are willing to put him first in the most extreme circumstances. You can remember, as we've looked through this series, we've looked back at the life of Noah and Abraham and Joseph and all the darkness he encountered, Moses. And then last week, we were in Joshua 2, where Pastor Clay un unwrapped for us this incredible story of Rahab and how God used her in a meaningful way. Today we're going to continue with one of the most well-known stories in all of Scripture, uh, and we're going to look at God's plan for victory. You see, we need to know to get started today that every victory requires a leap of faith. And we're going to learn more about this idea of victory through the story of David and Goliath. That's found in 1 Samuel chapter 17, so if you have your Bibles, that's where we'll spend most of our time today. We're going to look mostly at verses 38 through 51, but we'll also reference back to several key places in the chapter. And to set the stage, the the challenge before us today as Jesus' followers is much the same as the challenge that the Israelites face in this story. And that's how do we trust God for victory when the circumstances scream defeat? In in, In 1 Samuel 17, we see that God is strengthening David, this little shepherd boy, to face this great giant, Goliath. And verses 31 through 37 will tell us that King Saul, who was the first king of Israel, doesn't believe that David is really cut out for the job. Yet David's response is simple. Verse 37 says, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. 
David, this shepherd boy, has experienced God in incredible ways. As we go through this morning, we'll learn more about his life. We'll learn more about Goliath, his enemy, and we'll learn more about the character of God. We'll see that God had a different plan for David than Saul did. And that continues as we pick up in verse 38 through 40. It says, Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I can't go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Verse 40, then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in a pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in hand approached the Philistine. You see, Saul, stuck in the ways of his past, is trying to help David by dressing him in his earthly royal armor. It's the only way that he really knows to help David prepare for this battle. But David's not at peace with that plan. And he thinks that, he, that God has given him a different plan altogether. So instead, he goes without armor, and he takes only five stones and a pouch and a sling to approach Goliath. Right off the bat here, David's example tells us that his definition of victory meant that he knew the God he served. For us, we've got to know who God is. And David had insight because of his relationship with God. He knows the battle has been laid out before him. We just sang about that a minute ago. But let's think about what we know about Saul for just a second. If you look back in 1 Samuel verse 7, chapter 17, verse 11, it tells us that, that Saul and the people that followed him, they were dismayed and terrified because of the stature and the words of Goliath. Saul goes on to tell David in verse 33 that David can't fight Goliath because he's too young. You, a shepherd, teenage boy, are going to go fight this giant? Consistently in this passage, we see that Saul is living in fear, and he's far more focused on what cannot happen than what can happen, so much so he doesn't believe David has a chance to defeat Goliath. And so, even though he holds the title of king, we see really clearly here he doesn't have the the deep-seated trust in God that God calls his followers to live out. The deeper our relationship with God, the more we will know his character and the more we'll be able to discern his presence. David knows that God is better than any king and he reminds us that we don't have to settle for a cheap substitute. See, this is the hallmark of our lives, but for David, it really wasn't as much a level of disrespect towards the king. What it was is a complete trust in God and knowing that God's character was gonna prove true You see, David's wisdom from years of following God meant that he knew God was always present with him, and he knew that in the moment of battle, God wouldn't shy away from what was ahead. It also shows us that Saul was fearful and doubtful of David's ability. We see an incredible picture of David's real heart and his real allegiance in these opening verses. Question to ask ourselves this morning is simply this, what cheap substitutes are you prone to follow? The reality is we live in a world that offers us anything and everything at all times. And while David followed God, we often give ourselves to something or someone else that will never satisfy us in the way that God designed us to be. The truth of it is our enemy knows that this is our tendency, knows that this is our weakness, and they want to leverage it against us. That's exactly what we see Goliath try to do as we continue picking up in verse 41. It says, Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. 
He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. See, while we're seeing a a profile of the character of David being built, we're also seeing one of Goliath being built as well. Throughout chapter 17, it tells us that Goliath was a massive warrior. Uh, by today's height and weight standards, about six foot nine inches tall. I mean, think about uh, like, like a hockey player, right? Dressed for battle, you'd have the skates that would make him taller, you'd have the helmet. Uh, the, the verses here tell us that uh, Goliath would have been dressed in bronze. And many scholars would look at this and say that, uh, that, that truthfully, it was more like sections of bronze that were pieced together. And that the picture really would have been consistent with one that might have looked like scales on the outside of a snake. I think when we really look at this picture, we should see something more like the serpent that's back in the Garden of Eden. That's really the giant here that David is is facing. And you see, Goliath had taunted Israel in verses 8 through 11. That's what caused Saul's fear. That's what caused the people of Israel's fear. And it's important to know that in this moment, the battle is is really an important one. Why? Because the land of Israel is at stake. The Philistines are trying to capture the valley of Allah. And just as a quick lay of the land, that's the way that they would get to the heart of Judah, which would then give them more victory over Israel and push them further out of the land. And so everything's really at stake here. And Goliath has his own plan to take over. And we need to see what's going on. What's the thought process? What is he really going after here? So in order to understand God's plan for victory, you have to notice the enemy's strategy. See, Goliath wants to isolate David. Verse 41 tells us that Goliath has his shield bearer in front of him. And there's this world conqueror type of moment where Goliath believes he has David right where he wants him. How so? Well, there's nobody there to protect him. There is no fancy armor covering him. And from what Goliath can tell, he doesn't have a suitable weapon to fight. And so in Goliath's mind, how could David stand a chance against him who was heavily armored and trained? Not to mention he was a giant. Let me ask you this morning, have you ever felt like Satan is trying to keep you isolated? How do you feel isolated right now? Goliath also attempts to humiliate David. Verse 42 tells us that Goliath's opinion is that David is little more than a boy. He questions his stature. It's almost comical to him that the best the Israelites could come up with is this little shepherd boy who doesn't even seem like he's prepared for the moment. And then furthermore, he mocks David's battle plan. He says, am I a dog? Do you think so lowly of me that you didn't even come prepared? Furthermore, Goliath curses David by his God. And there's no doubt that in Goliath's mind that would make him feel bigger and bolder and more powerful and more dominant. But in reality, that word curse, if you remember back a few weeks ago, it connects us to Genesis 12. Where in the story of Abraham, God says to him, anyone that curses you and by extension your descendants will be cursed by me. It's actually foreshadowing of what's ahead for Israel. But in Goliath's mind, he's only focused on this moment. He's in control, and he's going to continue to show anything that he can uh, to try and show that he will do whatever it takes to humiliate David and put him down. So let me ask you about your life right now. Have you ever dealt with someone that has tried to humiliate you? Maybe it's someone that told you that your efforts will never matter. 
Maybe it's a coworker or a family member that says you really don't have much value in their eyes. Or maybe, like for many of us, it's a sin that you continue to experience and no matter how many attempts that you make to overcome that sin, it keeps coming back right in your face. See, as I look at my own journey, I'm gonna be really honest, I see this strategy at play over and over and over again. God has given me some incredible victories in life, but there are also things about my life that seem like they just won't go away. I suffer with what I call the Rocky Syndrome. If you remember back to the Rocky movies, the first movie, Sylvester Stallone plays this boxer Rocky, right? He's up and coming, trying to prove his own worth. And, 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 and the truth of it is, is he's, he's geared up for this moment where he's fighting Apollo. Now, Apollo is the biggest, baddest enemy that you can imagine. And Rocky doesn't really believe that he can win. And he's talking to his love interest, Adrian, and there's this interaction back and forth where he shows where his heart really is. And in that that moment of trying to prepare himself, he says, all I want to do is go 15 rounds, and then I'll know I'm not a bum. You see, Rocky is trying to prove his own worth. He's trying to be his own savior. Do you have to ask yourself this morning, have you ever experienced a time where you felt like you had to prove your own worth? Maybe there's something right now that's been gnawing at you for years and years and years, and you constantly do not feel like you're good enough to overcome. For me, I look back at my life, and there are many examples of this. One that stands out in particular is my time as a high school golfer. A lot of you high schoolers, you're in sports, you're in activities, all those things are going on. They're really important to you. For me, it was golf. It was so important to me because I wanted to lead my team to victory. I wanted to be the hero, and I wanted to get my name in the newspaper. Now, you guys should know the newspaper was this thing they used to drop off in your front yard, and you'd be able to read. Okay, you got it. All right, cool. So I really wanted that notoriety. I wanted to be the hero front and center. I did it all for myself, and I created an identity crisis. And what that meant was that uh, the enemy would use that to isolate me. The enemy would make me feel like all the pressure in the world was on me. And then when I didn't live up to my own expectations, the enemy would humiliate me. And then furthermore, when we got into some of the bigger moments of the season, the defining tournaments, I felt intimidated because I didn't feel like I could live up. Some of you are experiencing that exact same pattern today. And it sounds really simple for me. That was uh, something that defined that time period of my life. But for all of us, there's often something that holds us back from what God is offering us. And some of those struggles happen because we look at the size of the enemy far more than we look at the surety of God's promises. So you gotta ask, what do you need to do to better recognize the enemy's strategy? It's not that he's not at work. Oftentimes, it's just that we don't realize it. Maybe it's to tell someone that really cares about you that you just feel alone and you don't know what to do with that. Maybe it's to start reading God's word that says, Jesus met you in your humiliation, didn't turn you away, but was willing to go to the cross so that you could be restored and so that you wouldn't experience separation and humiliation anymore. Or maybe it's just simply saying, God, I am so intimidated by the fear of this person or the fear of this circumstance that I don't know if I can move on. Good news is, though, the only thing Goliath could see was how David appeared externally. And oftentimes, your enemy's going to use an external attack. But the story doesn't stop with Goliath's threats. And as a matter of fact, it's really just starting to get good. Pick up with me, verse 45. 
David says to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give you the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and to the wild animals. And the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. See, we have to know that throughout David's life, God had prepped him for this moment. We think about David often as the young shepherd up until then, but, but, but Chuck Swindoll gives us a great outline for three words that had defined God's preparation of David for this moment. The first word is obscurity. You see, David is the youngest of eight sons of Jesse. He's not the, the likely forerunner for a defining moment. Instead, he's the runt among his brothers. And yet here he is standing there where normally the firstborn would have been given this right and this privilege to fight for the people. David's life as a shepherd was also filled with a second word, monotony. It doesn't sound exciting, but here's the truth. In order to be a good shepherd, you have to faithfully be present with the sheep early and often and late throughout the day. And so what David learned is not only faithfulness, which is important, but consistency, and he learned to be a protector. A good shepherd keeps the sheep away from the wolves. Those two words lead us to a third one. That word is reality. These moments together prepared David for the reality that we are reading about in this story right now. The reality is that David was prepared for a battle that nobody else could handle because they were far too overwhelmed by the circumstance. God wasn't caught off guard by that. And he helped David get to a point of trust where he wasn't either. And so David understood what you and I need to understand this morning as well. When we're dealing with victory, we have to be very clear about the real victory. You see, for some of us, our definition of victory is tied to our wants. It's tied to our own vision of how things can work out as well as possible for us. But in verse 45, it tells us that David's whole vision of victory comes from this incredible relationship with the Lord Almighty. Goliath relies on his limited vision physically to be able to assess the situation. And instead, David sees the battle from God's perspective. Some of us need a vision adjustment today. You see, David rises against Goliath in the name of the Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, and he's positioned to lead a victory that even Goliath can't be prepared for. And because of God's presence with David, he won't be isolated, and he won't be humiliated, nor will he be intimidated. It reminds us that in terms of the real victory, we don't define victory. The entire foundation of victory to David is based on his words in verse 46. The Lord will deliver. Victory is always about being in the presence of God. It's about trusting him to do only what he can do. And so David goes on to say, his, his version of trash talk, he goes on to say, I'll give what's left of you to the birds and the animals. Why? His reason's a lot bigger than himself. So the whole world will know there's a God in Israel. One of my favorite coaches, yes, former Florida Gator, Billy Donovan, who's now the head coach of the Chicago Bulls, 
He often tells his players this, you don't get to decide what wins. Your only decision is will you do what it takes to win? And you see, it's the same for us. We don't define the victory. God defines the victory. Most recently, some of you may know, uh, Danae's dad, James, he passed away. And so Danae and I spent a whole week down in Florida with the family celebrating his life and sharing memories. And I have to be honest with you, there were a lot more uh, laughs than there were tears. He was an easy man to celebrate. Why? He, he lived larger than life. He had this bold, dynamic personality. He was the type of person that could fill up a room, but if you were having a conversation with, you, with him, it felt like you were the only person that was around. Nothing could distract him from making sure that you knew he cared. But for much of the last few years of his life, even though he had been this dynamic character, even though God had gifted him with an incredible voice, he was actually a recording artist at one point. He sang gospel and he sang country and he sang opera, you name it, he could sing it. For many of the last few decades, he, he really struggled with his health. And one of the first things that Danae and I did when we got down to Florida and we started talking through and figuring out what we were gonna do all week, we found his Bible. I actually brought it with me this morning. This has quickly become one of my all-time favorite things, and I, I will hold on to this dearly. But in this Bible, what we saw was an unbelievable amount of underlines and highlights and notes that were written in the margins. Some of those passages shared about God's love. Other of them showed his care. Some of them showed his kindness, but almost all of them described the beautiful character of God. And even though James had health issues that had limited him, it was really clear that his experience with God was life-changing and he understood that God was with him every single moment. You see, he understood the real victory. He wasn't defined by the circumstances or the difficulties that he faced here on earth. Instead, he, he understood and experienced what we see in David's story. And that's simply that victory is always defined by God's presence. You see, it leaves no room for our interpretation. The truth of it is for James, his legacy of faith will always be that he trusted God's presence here on earth, even on his hardest days, and he gets to experience God's presence for eternity from now and forever. So as you look at your own faith journey, when you look at your, your own definition of faith, is your definition of faith connected to the presence of God? I'm afraid if you're like me, it's far too often about my own interests and my own wins. But scripture is clear that, that it's always going to be tied to God, his presence, and who he is. You see, the win is being with him. Now, because God is so good and he is who he says he is, there's even more to the story than we can really even understand or see or experience We need to know that victory is rarely only about the circumstances that present themselves right in front of us. In this battle in 1 Samuel, it's far more about advancing God's kingdom than it is the size of the giant. We see this in verse 46. What's accomplished if God leads David to victory? Well, there's a barrier that's removed so that other people can know God. Now, you've got to think only God can redeem a story with so much battle and brokenness and something that seems so impossible to become a story that's useful for other people's lives to be restored. And verse 46 reminds us what's at stake, and that's that the rest of the world will know there is a God in Israel. 
See, it's a stunning way that God will help his people see and hear truly how great he is. You've got to remember that this time in in the world was primarily, the way information traveled was primarily through storytelling. Can you imagine being able to tell this story for generation after generation of what God did and how his character showed up in a way where it did not seem like the odds were in the favor of his people? So God's not battling with a sword, but he's battling with his presence in the moment, and David is simply his vessel. So what motivated David was the name of God being defiled. What's your motivation? Does the mockery of God's name motivate you? You see, David was so motivated that he was willing to stake his life to stand on the name of God against Goliath. By now, you probably know how this story will end, but let's go ahead and read verses 48 through 51. And it says, The Philistine moved closer to attack him. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Verse 51, David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. See, the ending here, Goliath experiences a crushing defeat at the hands of God's little shepherd. Think about this for a second. Goliath is actually the one who experiences the greatest isolation. He lost for his people. Think about the world we live in today, how fast the culture jumps all over a loser. They question their identity. They, they, they question their value, their worth. They throw them out and forget about them. That's the position Goliath's in. He experiences humiliation. You see, the physical evidence said that everything was already in his favor, that David really stood no chance and there was no way he was going to be able to overcome But at the end, Goliath is completely exposed and there's nothing he can do to save himself. And also Goliath, who was initially unaware of God's intimidating presence against his enemy, is now facing the most intimidating experience that he could ever imagine. And that's an eternity separated from God. You see, David stood in the gap and he trusted the victory that had already been given to him by the presence of God And he defeated the giant. David's leap of faith was was that he believed that with God, he could defeat Goliath. And David let go of his fear and he didn't let others, uh, 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 others' way of identifying him define the calling that God had given him. He trusted the size of his God more than the enemy he faced. See, when Goliath had false courage because of his stature and when Saul and the Israelites had no courage because of their fear, David conquered Goliath with godly courage. It's really easy to read this story and kind of get stuck in the the ESPN headline, David defeats Goliath type of mentality that we're so familiar with in today's world. It's basically this interpretation that God will grant us victories over every circumstance and every enemy that we could face and The truth of it is to live in that reality would be a version that's far short of what God offers us. Because let's be honest, there are some times when the cancer doesn't go away. There are 
some times when someone else gets the job even though you felt like it was yours. And there are some relationships that you have worked at your whole life and yet they're still broken. But what God offers you in David's situation and any of those similar circumstances that you might experience is his presence. And it means he'll be with you in trouble even if you don't get the outcome that you desire. Furthermore, not only is he here for today, but he offers you himself for eternity. And there is no better victory. You see, we often see ourselves as David in this story. We see ourselves as the hero. We see ourselves as the conqueror, as the one worthy of all the praise. But in reality, we're the people of Israel. We're often crippled by fear. We're unwilling to step forward in critical moments. We're often defined by only what we can see, so much so that we're unaware of how God might be at work. And so why does this story matter in 2024? It's not the story of the underdog versus the giant. Instead, it points us to a much greater reality to come. You see, some generations later, the son of David would come just as Genesis 3 promised. And he would crush the head of the serpent time and time again. He did it under temptation over 40 days against Satan in the wilderness. And he did it most ultimately on a cross. You see, he didn't settle for a cheap substitute. He didn't look to a lesser king. He didn't become intimidated by the circumstances that he faced. Instead, he was humble enough to give his life so that many could experience the victory that he already knew and was living in. His name is Jesus. And if you know him today, you already have the greatest victory that you could ever experience, not only for today, but for tomorrow and for eternity. So as you walk with God, your your next step might be to to dive deeper into the relationship that you have with God, to experience him in the fullest. You see, the gospel is not the diving board into life. The gospel means that we're going to dive into the pool, and we're going to swim around in that pool and experience more and more depth in relationship with God. And that also means that what we're experiencing, we need to share with other people as well. Now, some of you here, you might know him. You might have a relationship with him, but you know it's not the type of relationship that you see in scripture or that you see maybe some friends who have been following Jesus really well have. Maybe you know there's more to the relationship that you need. Maybe you're like the six-year-old in our story. Maybe there's a bear in your life that you're holding on to. And the presence of that bear prevents you from experiencing the full presence of God. See, you can't experience the full presence of God if you're putting something else in the place that's only reserved for him. So a question for you might be this morning, what are you holding on to that prevents you from experiencing a life-changing victory in him? It's not that you get all the answers that you want, it's that you get more of him and that's the best thing. So if you're six or you're 60, you gotta put down the bear. Whether you're a believer or not, there are lots of legitimate reasons why you might be skeptical of God. Maybe you experienced a painful loss that you feel like God is to blame for and it's really hard for you to get past that. Maybe there's someone in your life who says they follow Jesus but they've treated you in a way that doesn't look anything like him. I want you to know that whatever you brought in here for your hurts this morning, they matter. They're real. 
God wants you to bring those to the forefront. Our church wants you to bring there because we want you to experience incredible healing. How can you do that? It's because in the midst of your hurt, what God offers you is real as well. He didn't hold anything back. And if you know him this morning, you might feel like your struggles are too great. You might feel like the isolation that you're in is too far to overcome. You don't wanna tell anybody what's going on. Maybe you feel so humiliated or shameful that that you can't imagine admitting the circumstance that you're in. Or maybe you're just far too intimidated to even take a step where you could experience healing. God might be calling you to realize that he's offering you so much more. You see, the little boy couldn't enjoy his dad as much as possible while he held on to the bear. God wants you to experience him to the fullest today, and that's the offer that he gives every single one of us. You see, when you embrace him, the victory and the celebration that you get to experience is far better than anything you could imagine. Would you pray with me? Father God, this morning, we see in your word how good you really are. Most of all, we praise you for your presence with us. God, that's the most important thing. Lord, it will always be the most important thing. But Lord, sometimes it's hard for us to understand that in the circumstances that we face. God, sometimes it's easier for us to look at the size of our enemy and realize that our heart's tuned into them more than it's tuned into you. So God, first, I pray for those of us that, that don't know you. God, that there is a separation in relationship. God, that we're experiencing and living in the reality of isolation and humiliation and intimidation. God, would you open those hearts this morning to receive the greatest gift of victory that they can ever receive? God, for those of us that do know you this morning, I pray that we would not settle for cheap substitutes. God, for things that cannot satisfy us in the way that only you can. God, I pray that just like David showed us and then Jesus would show us as well, the definition of victory is in your presence. And God, I pray that that would satisfy our souls. And I pray that we wouldn't just keep it to ourselves, God, that we would take that with us everywhere we go, that we'd be found faithful to do what you've called us to do and to go where you've called us to go. God, this morning, give us a bigger picture of victory one that's not about us, but one that's about you and one that's about every image bearer you've ever made. Lord, the ones that we meet here on earth, God, that they might know how good you really are as well. Lord, thank you for this time this morning. I ask that you'd help us to be faithful as we take steps from here. In Jesus' name.